Welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Over the next hour, you will hear raw, honest, and inspiring conversation between Lindsay and her guests, discussing how to thrive, live joyfully, and abundantly in spite of life's challenges. Now, here is your host, Lindsay McCowan. Hello, and welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically. I'm your host, Lindsay McCowan, and I have to say that I have been giddy with excitement to be able to have this conversation today. And we're going to be talking about how the suppression of the feminine and Western culture is still unconsciously shaping our lives with Betty J. Kovacs. And I just want to jump right in and have a conversation with her. But we always start the show with a brief drop into our own bodies first so that we can become present in this moment and be more receptive to what we're experiencing, what we're learning, what we're feeling. So if you'll join me in just taking this moment to stop, pause, and breathe, a brief pause in your day where you can take a deep breath in and feel into the sacredness of your body. And women, we sometimes have forgotten the sacredness of our body. So just as you breathe, just feel that breath move into your body and move out from your body. And perhaps sensing this body as a holy temple from which our soul resides and guides. And the more that we can take these moments to stop, pause, and breathe into the sacredness of our body, the more we can begin to awaken back to our feminine nature, honor her, respect her, integrate her again. A couple more breaths here, and you're welcome to stay as long as you wish, just holding on to the breath, the body, with tenderness, with care, and even with reverence. But I'm so excited to start this conversation, so I'm going to come back and invite in Betty J. Kovacs. Now, Betty is, you know, an incredible, incredible scholar, and she earned her doctorate from the University of California, Irvine, in comparative literature in theory of symbolic mythic language. She taught literature, writing, and symbolic mythic language for 25 years. She served many years as chair and program chair on the board of directors of the Young Society of Claremont in California, and she sits on the academic advisory board of Forever Family Foundation. Betty is author of Merchants of Light, the Consciousness that is Changing the World, the winner of the Nautilus Silver Book Award and Scientific and Medical Network 2019 Book Prize. And she has also written The Miracle of Death, There is Nothing But Life. And if you want to learn more about her life and work, you can watch Anthony Sheen's documentary, A Spiritual Renaissance. And she's also featured with several others in a quest for ascension on Gaia, Amazon. And her website is comluck.com. So you can find her there. But don't go anywhere because we want to we want you right here and present. So welcome, welcome, Betty, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yes. So I'd love just to, you know, we talk about the divine feminine on this show a lot, but I would love if we could just kind of frame the frame, what the divine masculine and, and, and the feminine is before we dive into some of these deeper um, understandings. So can we just start right there? Sure, we can. And it's important because each of us has the masculine within as well as the feminine within. And it's so very important to develop both. 
but we if I could just start with the brain components, I think that helps uh, because the left brain and the right brain, uh, as one of the latest scholars, Ian McGilchrist, has made very clear, they're not masculine, they're not feminine. However, I would have to add that historically, uh, what uh, the left brain does has been historically associated with the masculine, and what the right brain does has been historically associated with the feminine. So the right brain develops first, it's older, and it feeds into the left brain. It gives the information to the left brain, and then the left brain takes it and separates it from its context, its meaning, its purpose, and does all kinds of analyses with it, and does some brilliant, wonderful things. But it is very dangerous if it doesn't feed back into the right brain. And the right brain has connections with higher brain centers and the heart. And it's connected to the heart. And the heart is our fifth brain component. Our ancestors knew that, and we have discovered it in in the 20th century. Heart Math has done a wonderful job in scientific research to actually show how the other brain components are transformed if we go to the heart, because the heart is feeling, it's love, it's soul. The Sufis called it the organ of soul, and it opens us to the universe, to the consciousness that gave us birth, that we're in, all of us are in this. So the masculine, if we just look at our our culture, the masculine we've usually thought of as uh, that part of us that analyzes and thinks and uh, gets a profession and goes out into the world and uh, and accomplishes things in time and space. Uh, But it does, the true masculine is so much more than that. But the true masculine can only be that if it honors the feminine just as the feminine can only be what she is with the masculine, because they're all a whole, one one whole uh, part, one wholeness of the brain, we would have to say, and of our soul, of our psyche. So it, it seems because the feminine is developed first, that is the rational or the right brain with the heart, it, we see in cultures that that is exactly what happens. We see the images of the feminine not only as heart, but as soul, the land, nature, the cosmos. So she really is that aspect of the cosmos and of our lives that gives birth to everything and maintains it and then takes it back into her body at death. And then she gives the rebirth. So it's that cycle of life. And she feeds into what is the right brain or the masculine. We are all, I would like to say this, each one of us uh, is symbolized in the masculine as our individual personality as we're born in time and space. In old Europe, sometimes the masculine would be symbolized as a mushroom and come into being quickly and you go out quickly. (laughs) And that applies in, in many other ways with the masculine. But certainly in terms of our lives, we come in, we are born, and we die. So we are, the masculine in each of us is symbolized as that uh, individual person who comes in and goes out. The feminine is the eternal aspect of who we are. We, we don't die. We just simply transform. I love how you are explaining the feminine and the masculine because I feel like in our culture, and even I do this because it's such a big concept that we we compartmentalize it into like smaller bits 
and actually do a disservice to understanding what the feminine and the masculine is. We think it's just the characteristics of compassion or love or um, generosity or nurturing is the feminine and the masculine is more the action or the protection. And mm -hmm. it's just really, it, it doesn't really encompass what you just said. Like, okay, we have the right and the left brain, these two hemispheres and that the, and the right brain develops first. And this is really rooted in this eternal aspect of who we are. And, and then it feeds the, the other hemisphere of the brain, which has been more associated with the masculine qualities, but without tapping into this, this ancient wisdom, we're really doing a disservice to our own development and our own oh. understanding of what our capabilities oh. are. As a matter of fact, by doing that, we have thwarted our evolution, our growth and development. And it, the West is actually, the more I live with the material, the more I grieve in a way to see how suppressing all that we associate with the feminine and even the feminine being that we have thwarted our development because we have cut ourselves off from the right brain and heart consciousness. Our ancestors knew the heart is part of the of the brain, and yet we've had no sense of that. We've still cut ourselves off, that we have harmed ourselves. When you started the program by going down into the right brain and the heart connection, you were making the connection with the whole brain, which is so powerful and so important. Everything we do will have to be changed when we will finally accept modern, modern science's understanding, which is much, much better than the past, of the whole mind. That in order to experience the mind's own wholeness, we must know how to activate this whole mind throughout our lives. Education will change. Everything will change. And so I, I definitely want to hear how we can make those changes, but let's start where, how did we become so separate? Like yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, in Merchants of Light, I talk about how we actually discovered in the 20th century, many scholars working independently discovered that these early civilizations, and I talk mainly just about the West, in the West were shaman mystic cultures, which means that they were they were using the whole brain. They would go into the heart consciousness, feeling consciousness, and they would also experience altered states of consciousness, as has been said before by Henry Bergson, is that we're all born out of universal mind. That's what we are. But there is a valve that limits that consciousness, that vast consciousness, so that we can get by in daily life. Well, a shaman mystic culture knows how to release that valve. That should be the work of every civilization. How do we release this valve so that we can experience who we really are, the vastness of who we are? And then we can come back in and limit it for daily life. So this was what these shaman mystic cultures did. And Egypt was just incredible. I, it's just so incredible. One could hardly uh, do it justice by talking about it. But everything was mathematically uh, and spiritually structured to trigger that revelation, you might say, or knowingness of who we are. The temples were aligned in a certain way. Uh, 
all of the frequencies they understood so that they could actually ignite in every way possible of that recognition, that knowingness where the whole brain is working together. And it wasn't until the 20th century that we knew that the first temple in Judaism was a shaman mystic temple. And so now we get to the story, the first story we really have a lot of information about in which this was destroyed. In 621 BCE, the Deuteronomists, we don't really know who they are other than that they were priests, and they completely destroyed that shaman mystic temple, which honored the feminine. Obviously, if we are mystics, we honor what is historically characterized as the feminine. That is these altered states of consciousness in which we experience our eternality, that infinite aspect of who we are. Well, the Deuteronomists would have none of that. They destroyed all of the images of the feminine, all of her altars. She was the sacred tree of life, which we'll get to later. But she had many sacred groves of trees, burned them all down, chopped them down, destroyed the images. And she was highly honored in the first temple, in the Holy of Holies, which only the priest would enter at certain times. He merged with the sacred feminine, which was his own eternality, the infinite aspect of life, so that he could bring back that knowledge to his people. So she was highly honored. In fact, her name was Wisdom. And Yahweh, in the earlier literature, which is now available to us, Yahweh loved her. They were uh, both loving partners, and together they created the world. Now, when all of that destruction takes place, poor old Yahweh becomes a tyrant. He becomes what we become if we're just those images of the left brain. If we negate all that has been symbolized as feminine, then we become jealous and vengeful. And he says, I am the only God. There's no God before me. You must honor me, worship me, do as I say. He is a tyrant. But he wasn't that before. So it's very interesting in this early literature, we see exactly what happens to the masculine in the male and in the female, if she lets it happen, when we are separated from the right brain and heart consciousness, when we're separated from what they would say spirit. So one of the stories that uh, they told is so horrendous that, and we all know it, uh, whatever, if we're in the West, we know the story of the Garden of Eden and which... Uh, God told Adam and Eve, you may eat of any of the trees you want, except that one right there. It should have been the tree of life. There's only one tree, but they divided the trees into two. One was a knowledge of good and evil, and the other one was a tree of life, which isn't even in the garden in, when they first mentioned it. So God says, you cannot eat of that tree. Well, of course, every parent knows <laughs> if you say that, that's exactly the tree we're going to go for. And Eve did go to that tree, and there was the serpent telling her, he's not telling you the truth, because God said, if you eat of this tree, you'll die. Well, they ate of the tree. God came back into the garden, knew exactly what had happened, and he punishes them. He curses the earth and says to Adam, you will have to struggle all of your life with the earth. Well, that's a pretty cruel thing to do. And with Eve, you will desire your husband, but you will suffer tremendously in childbirth. And actually, since they had sinned against 
this tyrant god. They are exiled. They're not worthy to live in the garden. And as they leave, there is an angel there with a sword, which prevents them ever, ever again entering the garden of life, lest they eat of the tree of life and become like gods. Now, that's a heinous story, isn't it? Even as a kid, I thought, why would God not want us to know things? You know, that seems like to be, well, anyway, now we need to have that first story because the true story, our true spiritual story, and our true stories are never uh, negative. They're, our true stories are for our evolution, our becoming, our awakening. So the true story is this, even long before the Hebrews, the tree was a very prominent and dominant image because, as I said, she is the feminine. And uh, in Egypt, for example, you can see these incredible images of the tree and the very trunk is the feminine. And she is in the tree offering the fruit to people who come to it. Sometimes it's even in a glass <laughs> or a fruit. The, the feminine is the tree. She is life. She's rooted in the earth. She's eternal. Her branches reach up into the heavens and she is always present. So one image that I have in my book, which I love so much, is the goddess sitting on one side with the kundalini serpent energy rising behind her. And the male is on the other side of this beautiful tree with heavy fruit hanging in it. And each one of them, the goddess and the god, are pointing to it like, it is for you, take it. And never before the Deuteronomist was this tree denied to anyone, nor would it be uh, in Egyptian culture, or it wasn't in Sumerian. The tree belongs to all of us. So it's interesting, isn't it? Here is this tree in which it's never denied this fruit. If we are ready and able to become conscious, the gods are there to help us to do just that. But the Deuteronomists have made all of that impossible. And the notice <laughs> that the feminine is the one who breaks the law first, and it's now a law. She's the one who gives it to Adam, but she always had been because she is the fruit. She is the tree. And the serpent becomes this evil critter who uh, actually was the rising kundalini feminine energy that rises from the base of the spine through the heart and fills the brain. So it, the beautiful story is that life is here, offers us consciousness. And the priests who come in, the Deuteronomists, absolutely wipe that out. And they make the human being flawed. He's not really worthy of life. And we see the Deuteronomists are still existing with us because those, the technocrats today, want to transhumanize us. Because why? We're flawed. We need to be this. We need to be more that. But if they knew who we really are, that we are this vast consciousness, that well, all we need to do is learn how to tune into it, then we, we have the revelation of the cosmic consciousness, far greater than anything AI could do. But artificial intelligence can certainly give us so many more facts and do so much we can't. Maybe we could use that for certain purposes. But the true consciousness is within us, and that is still not known by the people who want to dominate us today, as the Deuteronomists wanted to dominate the Jews of the time. So it's a terrible, terrible story for both man and woman, but especially for the woman.
Yeah. And I think this is so important for people to listen to. And I'm sure it probably might ruffle a few feathers hearing this because it's going to really stir up or um, create some instability in some of the beliefs that you might've been holding to be true um, from a religious perspective. But, you know, from a spiritual perspective, you have this, this, this beautiful, these feminine, um, I don't want to even say archetype because they're energies that are within all of us. Yes. And that through the ancient culture is the, the feminine was so worshiped because she is the wisdom. I love that. You know, if we had wisdom. one word for the divine feminine, it would be That's wisdom. Right. It's exactly what her name was. Wisdom. Yeah. And that she offers this wisdom and it's, it's there for everyone. And that, you know, on one, like you were talking about that picture that depicts, depicts the masculine on one side, the feminine, the center, and then the, the Kundalini serpent on the other side that this wisdom is there for us and that the Deuteronomists come in and, and I'm assuming to, in order to gain power, what they had to do was sever our relationship to the feminine and to that Kundalini energy. Because if we understood who we really are and the power that we hold within us, then we wouldn't need them. We, we, we couldn't be subject to them. No, we wouldn't need them. That You've really put your finger on it. This is, if from that point on, we have been told by people who are in power and want to maintain that power over us that we are nothing. We are nothing. We need to be saved by some God or fixed or repaired in some way. But we are, we are flawed. And this is, we've believed that. We believe we're not worth much because we have had hidden from us over and over again who we really are. And I'd like to just say a few things about what the tree, it's so beautiful in the first temple tradition in Judaism. She said, if you hold fast to me, you will be happy. You will experience joy. And she is the light of the sun. And if you uh, hold fast to me, I will help you balance everything. And what was the other one? Oh, and if if you were related to in relationship with me, you will not sin. And notice that the tree, just even thinking about a relationship with her, is already a sin. And mm. the tree is always telling us we are immortal, we don't die, we are divine, and we're creative. And that's exactly what the the uh, Deuteronomist took away. But here, her tree is so beautiful, and the fragrance is so. And it, and what it's saying is, if you do open up to this larger heart consciousness, you won't sin, you know, and you will balance your life, and you will be happy. I love that. How you know, if you hold fast to me. Mm-hmm. you will find balance in your life. And exactly. we have so little balance in our lives now because we have lost that sacred connection to the feminine. Yes. And we even know through scientific research that if we go to the heart, focus on the heart and allow ourselves to feel with, let's say, gratitude, then it sends a, a high frequency bridge to the other brain components and shifts how we see the world. I mean, it's amazing. The feeling is a way of knowing and that we just cut out. You know, I don't care how you feel, just give me the facts kind of thing, which is a horrible thing. But we actually know that by trying to center ourselves, hold fast to her, that it changes the way the brain works. Yeah, the feeling is the knowing. 
Yes, exactly. I, I absolutely love that. The feeling is the knowing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've talked a little, we've already talked about the tree of life, you know, that it is the wisdom and the, how the feminine was really in the, that first temple uh, in the, sh- the shaman mystic tradition. And can we come back to the, the role of the feminine and the holy of holies? Because um, I actually, because I didn't know. I had to actually look up what the Holy of Holies was, that it was just the inner chamber of um, a sanctuary in the Jewish temple of Jerusalem. And so can we talk a little bit about how this is symbolic? Um, and is, is there symbology of that within our own bodies? Yeah, I think everywhere. Uh, the sort of the left brain understanding would be that there are three dimensions of reality. There is the the pure intelligence, no form, pure intelligence. And that pure intelligence is always moving into the spiritual, what we call the spiritual world. Uh, And it's the archetypal world, because as that energy with no form moves into that dimension, it takes on structures, the archetypal structures. And then it moves into time and space in the physical world, and we experience those structures very broadly, but we have a tremendous amount of creativity within those structures. You know, just like something is a feminine uh, archetype, but there's a lot of freedom with how we relate to it and create with it. So uh, day one is what uh, the Jews called that uh, the holy of holies. In other words, creation begins when it comes from pure intelligence, no form, into day one. Then the the archetypal forms take place, and so when the priest leaves the regular sanctuary of time and space and moves into the holy of holies, he is in the moment of creation. And there he merges with wisdom. She is wisdom. And one can see even the merging in the physical form that we are told might have existed there uh, symbolically. But that is the place where ordinary consciousness moves into that day one, the world, the moment of creation, and experiences altered states of consciousness or cosmic consciousness. And that was a part of First Temple Judaism. Mm, That's so amazing. And I've never, ever heard that story or that explanation before. Well, I have to give credit to Margaret Barker, Old Testament scholar. She's taught me (laughs) what I know about it, and she has so much to say. So if anyone's interested in knowing more, she has many books on First Temple Judaism, brilliant scholar. Oh, thank you for that. So we, I mean, I can't believe we're up to a break. We're only taking one break today on our show. Normally we take two because I knew that this conversation was going to be so rich and I didn't want to have, I wanted more time to talk to you, Betty. But here we are at our first break of the show. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. And if you really love Women Thriving Unapologetically and you want to see the show grow and be a supporter of the show, then definitely reach out to me at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com because this is a community that is growing and meant to bring resources across the globe to women. And so definitely reach out to me, thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. And we'll be right back after this short break.
follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. When you awaken the divine feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, you awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful, magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Hello and welcome back to Women Thriving Unapologetically. We are having an incredible conversation with Betty J. Kovacs on how the suppression of the feminine in our Western culture is still shaping our lives. And, you know, it's shaping our lives unconsciously, but hopefully through the, these conversations that we're having, it becomes more conscious. Like, oh, I'm understanding now more of how I'm moving through the world and why I'm moving this way. And how can I change and shift the trajectory of how I'm approaching my life? How do I bring in more of the feminine? And maybe we can start there because during the break, I was sharing with Betty how, you know, for the past few years, I've been just feeling this pull to move more, gravitate more towards the feminine. And that was very much against my approach. I wasn't against it, but I had a very strong masculine approach because that's how I've was taught, you know, even the coaches I was hiring for my business had all these strategies and techniques and it never felt right. It never was landing well with me. And I'm in this crossroads right now where, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to take a break from everything because nothing is feeling right. And this, this feminine um, energy wants to move through me and come through me. And it has been for a while, but the way that I've been trying to bring my work into the world is still through a masculine lens. So I just feel like I need to stop and pause like I do with <laughs> the big pause for me and get centered in my body and try to listen, listen for that wisdom again, because I can't hear her through all the busyness and all the, the stuff of my, you know, my left brain is telling me to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how do we, you know, as women start to bring in this, you know, the feminine, when life is just telling us this momentum of life is so strong and pulling us in a particular trajectory, how do we bring that back in when everything around us is telling us to go this way, when our hearts are saying, go the other way? Yes. And that's a real problem. Uh, I don't know how many decades it was ago that Eric Fromm wrote about the West and how we know how to work but we do not know how to play. 
And play is a very creative act. But uh, during the feminist movement, what was that, in the, especially in the 70s, beginning the 60s, 70s, 80s, it was uh, women were asking the same question, same question of how to how not to be so heavily left-brained about everything. I mean, there are wonderful gifts that the left brain gives us and that the masculine aspect of ourselves gives us, but not when it's separated from the right brain and the heart. And so here we are in 2023 asking that question still. As women, it's still, how do I, how do I live and move in the world from a deep heart consciousness, strategies are important, but this is the question, and we're learning. You know, there's no one can particularly answer, I think, because we're all learning it. We've been trying to learn it for a long time, but I see in many businesses an increase in that rush, rush, be there all the time, work yourself to death. This is, this is not what is healthy or creative. So it's very much something that we need to be concerned with. And I think as uh, all of us who've been mothers of young men, of boys, you know, I was, I had one son and I certainly realized that he is, you know, the, as a boy, as loving as a girl, as a feminine could be. And as he grew up and looked out at the world when he became old enough to look out at it, it was like, I don't want to be like that. And sort of all the guys coming around were sort of the same way as it. I, that's not a goal I want. So it was almost like, I don't think I want to grow up, you know, and be like that. So there also were questioning it. You know, how do we live in the world? And they wouldn't, they weren't thinking of it in those terms, I think, but how do we live in the world and feel right about it? And so it's so important as women that we, ask that question, not only for ourselves, but for our children and for the men we love, you know, they need that. And they certainly don't know any better than we do. (laughs) So it's how do we learn this and how do we learn it together? And how can we help our sons and our husbands or our lovers, whoever they are? How can we help uh, unite the masculine, which is very much needed? It's a beautiful and efficient aspect of ourselves. But how do we root it in the back, into the right brain, into the heart? Because in Western culture, the left brain has actually been severed, we might say, from from the right brain and heart in terms of our daily uh, activity. So this is a huge question. It's probably the most important question that we can ask. And I was going to say about the uh, your show apologetically, unapologetically, we must never be apologetic for being eternal creative beings that must connect with who we are, universal consciousness for ourselves and for all those we love, male and female. And, you know, what was coming to mind when you were talking is that, you know, talk about the rise of the feminine and that can feel um, threatening to men, but what we want to understand I mean, it can also feel a little bit empowering for women but we want to understand that the rise of the feminine is happening within both uh, both genders or and gender identities it's happening it's not like the masculine or the feminine it's like a or male female 
but the rise of the feminine is necessary both within men and women for there to actually be that merging of the left and the right brain so that we can really tap into um, and get back on track with our evolution. Because as you said, our evolution has been stunted. That's right. To get back on track because we all have the masculine and feminine within us and we all have a heart. And that's the kind of consciousness that we want to achieve is as early as 1700, I think it was 17, uh, I'm not sure, 40s, but in the 1700s, Jean-Baptiste Vico, one of the first theorists of symbolic mythic language, you know, was making a point to the, to, to trying to make the point, he was ignored, of course, is that both, both the masculine and the feminine must have a dynamic and integral continuum of movement in order for the mind to experience its own wholeness. How I wish he had been heard. He was heard during times of Renaissance, but at the same time, we had the French philosophers, you know, strutting across Europe saying that the only thing that's important is the left brain or rational consciousness, they would call it, and all those other modes of consciousness. Oh, we've used them up. They've been fine, but we don't need them anymore. And people have actually in the West, that's, they won the day. The Germans, who had been part of a renaissance not long before that, resisted it, but they weren't heard. And then when science developed, it took the same thing because the church censored science. There had been science mystics before. They didn't separate the mysticism from the science. But when science was officially formed in the West, it was so censored by the church and the atmosphere that had been created that it could only study matter. And that's why, of course, we have this dreadful worldview. It's, uh, it's, been, it's been a terrible thwarting of who we are. That constant play between the, the right and left hemispheres, the brain, the constant play between the masculine and the feminine is what really leads to our greater evolution and greater consciousness. Yes, it's so beautiful it's, to see it that way that we can't negate one half of ourselves without throwing ourselves completely out of balance and off of our well, evolutionary growth. Well, that's beautifully said. That's so true, is that for the feminine to develop, it must be in love with the masculine. It must have that that relationship. It works for all of us to develop the feminine. The funny thing is, you know, people can say as long as they want to, oh, it's not masculine, it's not feminine. But the male <laughs> decided, I guess, that all of those qualities of the right brain and the heart were feminine. So not only did they suppress those, they suppress the female for centuries. And so that's why we're trying to come back and say, wait a minute, you know, this is about both of us. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, for me personally, you know, I was so rooted in masculine ways of doing and being, and then I'm starting to bring in the feminine. And then I started to feel a lot of anger towards the masculine towards, you know, that, that's and been then, a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. They did and us so now, wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so now I'm like, okay, how do I fall in love with the masculine? Cause when you're saying that, I'm like, I actually felt resistance. I'm like, Oh, well, that's not, <laughs> well, that's not going to be healthy. <laughs> so and, now and we're I, not in love with the masculine that inhibits us. No, yeah. we can't love that, yeah. but we would love the masculine in a relationship with wisdom, <laughs> you know, yeah, with the feminine. Fall in love with the, both of those aspects of ourselves. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, of course, went through the same thing. I remember going to graduate school and I became 
uneasy with everything that seemed feminine about myself. You know, it was, and I then I became aware, oh my God, this is what I'm doing. And then there was a very famous uh, male professor in one class. There were about 20 of us in the class, and he always addressed us as gentlemen. There were only three men in the class, but he just like he could not. It was very uneasy with having females in the class. And I don't know where his mind was, but there were just so many things that that were so out of sorts for me as a woman in graduate school. Mm. It was, uh, it was, and I think, and women all around me were going through the same thing. How can we this? How can we do that? And this is very important. We must push to integrate everything that is so natural to us into our culture that has been so uh, severed and suppressive and repressive without sometimes even consciously being aware of what they're doing. It's just the way of things. That's the truth. Well, it isn't the truth. And all of this history that I'm talking about, it was some of it was so suppressed that it wasn't until the 20th century, and I think that's a rather interesting thing in itself, that independent scholars began discovering these shaman mystic cultures in which the feminine was highly honored and developed, as well as the masculine. But it was balance and relationship that uh, were sought. But we didn't know these things before. We didn't know that there was a Hebrew uh, first temple shaman mystic tradition. We didn't know that there had been Renaissance periods in which science, scientists and mystics were behind it. We just didn't know those things. Um, And people, scholars today still think that the French Revolution or the French Enlightenment, they did give us many good ideas about certain things, but they also were completely ignorant of the whole mind. And people still thinking themselves as very intelligent refer to, yes, we have, you know, the French and uh, philosophers that rational consciousness. Well, rational consciousness cannot be uh, suitable <laughs> for the human being unless it is rooted in the right brain and the heart. As a matter of fact, if one is connected to the heart, there is no violence. And we can certainly see in our world today that that separation from feeling has caused such violence that we can't even begin to comprehend it. And if we don't get hold of ourselves pretty soon, we will destroy the world. I think of when the first nuclear weapon, the atomic bomb, was tested, and Oppenheimer saw it. He's been director of that part of that. And there were like a thousand suns had exploded. And then he said, quoting from Sanskrit, we have become death, the destroyer of worlds. And this is what we become with just the left brain. I just got chills when you said that. Yeah. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. And so there's been throughout history moments um, where there's been this this drive to bring the feminine back in, but it hasn't seemed to to stick. So exactly. And, and so how you know in this time when we start are feeling the surge of the feminine come back in, how do we make it stick this time? Because in the past it's been it's come in and in a wave and then it didn't um I don't know why it didn't stick. Maybe you have some uh ideas behind that, but how at, in 2023 when we feel this upwelling of the feminine coming back in, how do we ensure that 
it doesn't get lost again, especially with mm-hmm. things like you said, with the with AI coming in and the transhumanistic, you know, you know, the merging of the machine is coming in. How do we ensure that this doesn't happen? This is the this is the question that we have to ask because I think that in our time the darkness is surfacing. And I think it's really coming up. And someone said, well, if we didn't have enough light, we wouldn't be able to see it. So we have to know that there is a lot of light that is that is uh, developing as well. But I think that we've had since 621 BCE, then the Roman church picked it up. They, they kept the same horrible stories. Jesus, by the way, according to Margaret Barker, was a rebirth of the shaman mystic tradition. He was a mystic. And he wanted to teach others how to experience this. And the Nag Hammadi texts that were found after World War II help us to know that. Then when the church got hold of Jesus, they made him a god. So nothing happening inside you. You worship someone outside yourself. So that was another story that was destroyed for us. So we've had this long line of, of attempts to destroy every effort. So... I think that what we see in the technocrats today, these people who don't seem to have any feeling or any understanding of this universal consciousness that we are, that they are the result, the offspring of all of these thousands of years of suppression and repression. So this darkness is pretty great. I don't think they have any idea in the main of this cosmic consciousness that we're born out of and that what they need to work on is not the machine, but how do we open that valve and experience ourselves? How how could we build a, a magnificent culture like the Egyptians in which everything was focused to our enlightenment instead of destroying who we are because we're flawed and no good and not worthy and making mechanical thing with no, that's no heart there. But I think this darkness that we're up against is a result of all of the suppression and repression. But I do think in the 21st, 20th, and 21st century, so much light has come. There's so many people, you know, becoming aware of it. Women are aware of it, sure, and many, many people. So here we are. How do we do it? I think that's a question we're all asking, and we're all going to find our answers to it. One thing that encourages me, because to look at that is pretty dark, the Great Reset, the attempt to take over globally, uh, in which we would have no freedom. And we have to have freedom to be creative beings. So my own visions, after, and my husband's too, after the death of our son, with Merchants of Light, the name of the book, ML, is that this is an energy field that has now, we have attached to the earth, this longing for exactly what you're talking about, is so great all over the planet that we have pulled this light that has been around our planet for a long time, but now they actually, we've been able to anchor it in the earth. That gives me a great deal of hope that, and it's an energy field that is a higher frequency so that what we were working with in the 60s and 70s is different today. I think the energy field, the frequency is higher. I think we can accomplish more today. Now, this is something the left brain would have to have a good laugh about. But we know that the visions, there are visionary states of consciousness in which you know it's gnosis. You know that what you're experiencing is real. And I that gives me hope that 
there's so much longing on the earth to to be whole to so that the feminine can be who she is and the masculine can be what it is but they can't and but the knowledge that they can't be anything unless they're harmoniously working together that's the sacred marriage in mythology throughout the world the sacred marriage of the wholeness of who we are so i'm I think that these are questions that we can't just answer outright. We're finding, we're trying to find them out of our own heart and our own work, our own profession, what feels right to us. But I do believe we can make it this time because this energy field is now here and working with us. I think we're stronger than we've been in all of those other times. In Merchants of Light, I talk about four previous renaissance periods in which this underground shaman mystic tradition rose to the surface of culture and attempted to integrate with what we call the masculine consciousness or mainline left brain and it was subdued and destroyed each time now this is the fifth time i think if we don't make it this time we won't be a human species Mm. but i think we will because there's such longing like you are so determined to find a way of being in the world professionally that fits with the heart and the whole mind. And that's what we're working on. So I'm fascinated with this field of energy that's surrounding the earth. Is do you feel like that that is the feminine that that she's been so because I think I've heard you speak on another podcast at one time about how when we shut her out, she just left, she just left. And yeah. has she gone out into the cosmos? And because now we are, our longing and our desire is is so strong that it's almost like bringing her back in from out there in the cosmos. I think we split that archetype, you know, that she was wisdom, clearly related to Yahweh in a harmonious, creative way, but was split by the Deuteronomist and then all the way down through Western history. There's even a, a lovely story of her standing outside the gates of Jerusalem, but her children, her people cannot hear her. And so she retreats back into the, into the heavens. I think that that is a splitting of the archetype. We're able to love deeply. We're able to be in touch with feeling the heart. That's the archetype of what has been called the feminine. But we lost her eternality the infinite aspect of her. Uh, And we want to merge that together. And I think that's what the light is, is that it's not, it's certainly, it's her coming back, the, the eternal, infinite aspect of love. It's not just you love and then it, and then everything that we loved is dead. And that's the end of the story. That's the loss of the other type of the archetype, other side of the archetype. No, I agree with you. She is coming back and we're trying so hard to merge her with our ability to love so deeply. But we must know that there is a a universal consciousness, a universal love, a heart, that our heart is centered at the heart of the cosmos. This is what went back to the heavens and we couldn't get in touch with. And I think it's coming back. Yes. And we can think of the energy as beyond masculine or feminine. But what we have identified is what you're talking about, about the feminine. That love connected to the, to what is infinite, what is universal consciousness, which is never lost. We come into the body and go out, 
but the love is eternal. We lost that, mm. and it gave us such grief. But yes, that's what's coming back. And I had the actual experience of anchoring it in the earth. So if I, if any vision I ever had is real, that one is. <laughs> you know? And so you know, I'm feeling into this, and and what feels like to me is like if we just keep coming back to our heart. We, you know, because sometimes we want practical things that we can do. If we keep yeah. doing, for example, I'm a yoga and meditation educator. So a lot of these heart-centered practices coming back to that understanding of the heart in what the deepest longing is, is to know our eternal selves. And so if we just keep following that desire and, and being diligent and willing to keep tapping into that, we can begin to bring in that eternal energy as well and back into beautiful. our experience and and then start moving from that level of consciousness as, because beautiful. it now becomes our own experience. Yes, and that will teach us. You know, heart math has meditations that you go into meditation and, and really meditate on a question to the heart and that eventually you get the answer. I think it will be led by the heart that that will inform us. Because the heart is intelligent and it's connected to cosmic consciousness. The intelligence mm. we're born out of it. So I think you've said it exactly. Well, you're making me feel much better about taking this break because I've been feeling uncomfortable with taking several weeks off and just and sit, centering in my heart. I know that's what I need to do. That's what I'm being guided to do. But releasing the left brain's, you know, constant chatter and shaming me um, <laughs> exactly. and just be with grip that. On like, <laughs> I know it's a big grip. Now we only have a couple minutes before the end of the show, Betty. So I want to make sure people that are listening have a way to get in touch with you. So what is the best way that women really want to touch base with you or learn more from you or learn more about the things that we've been talking about? How can they do this? Well, they can go to the website, the comlock.com, K-A-M-L-A-K.com. K-A-M-L-A-K. And I have many podcasts and videos and articles and webinars. Uh, and if they want to sign up for the newsletter, uh, they can re they will receive a chapter from Merchants of Light. It's about the Renaissance and High Middle Ages, one of the most powerful Renaissance periods we've had, which we haven't been taught much about. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think there. And if you want to get in touch with me, I believe my email is there. Yeah, I give us nodding yes. So uh, yeah, yeah. yes, I would I would love to hear from anyone who has a question or wants to know something else. Well, I'm going to go sign up for that email uh, newsletter for sure. And thank you so much again. This has been such a pleasure and an honor um, to have this conversation with you. And I do hope that you'll come back on the show. And if you're listening, definitely reach out to me at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com because I am building you know resources for women that they can tap into. And so we want to build this community so that we can rise and thrive together and be unapologetic in following our hearts. So much love to you, Betty, and to oh, everyone that's listening. And I look forward you. to staying in touch with you and everyone else that's listening on this show. Oh, thank, thank you. you. And much love to you. And I look forward oh. to seeing you again. <laughs> yes. In person would be amazing. <laughs> it would be. Yes, it would be. <laughs> we'll manifest it that. It will happen. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. And we'll be back next week at the same time. Thank you for listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving Unapologetically. We hope we've inspired you to claim your birthright to thrive. Tune in next week where we will continue to give you the tools you need to flourish, prosper, and thrive. Until then, have a beautiful week.